0: In a box undigified Gonna rewind And give them one more try Think about the days Of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex And TDK Getting music out there The old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits Of one day Mixtape Phonograph. And dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet the Mix mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time
1: Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is Side B of Gen X Covers Part 2, where we curate a mixtape featuring today's artists covering Gen X tunes. Here we are for Part 2, already. Yep. That went fast. Yeah, two weeks in between. <laughs> you know, we, we changed it up again
2: because we used to be every, every week, then every two weeks, and now, of course, it's one one two-part episode per month but time still flies yes in between it does does. and i've been looking forward to this for for two weeks time so excited to get back into it um how 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 are things
1: good yeah things are well just yeah you said looking forward to kind of uh getting the last 12 up here and seeing how these all blend together
2: i know i can't wait to see the the sequence when we're done
1: and i get to start right you do i get to start okay um I think I may be more excited for the songs on this list, even though my favorite one was last week. I think I'm more excited about this collection of songs. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Level 42. A lot of people may not have rem- remembered uh, Level oh, 42. You, you remember Level I remember 42. Level 42. Yeah. Level 42 became a fixture in the airways in 1985 with their smash hit, Something About You. The British jazz funk band, officially a two-hit wonder. In fact, did we feature them on our two-hit wonder so, we
2: may have.
1: At we, least in the United States, they're two-hit wonder. They're not yeah. in Europe. You know, I used to be really
2: good about just knowing what songs we <laughs> yeah, had I, used.
1: You were you're fine a lot longer than I was. Yeah, but now, I mean, we're, it's not important. we're like 1,500 songs in four yeah, seasons. No, it's not so important. I, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, so they were two hit wonder in the United States. They had two songs that charted, but um, they have an impressive tenure of 11 studio albums between 1981 and 2006. So we're just ignorant over here, on this side of their pond, of the pond. Yes, we are. So jump to 2010, where indie rock artist uh, Carry Brothers records the song for his album Under Control.
3: Can it be that a love carved out of care, fashioned by faith we suffer so hard from the games played once too often? But making mistakes is a part of life's imperfection. Born of the years Is it so wrong To be human after all Drown into the stream Of undefined illusion Those diamond dreams They can't sky True. There's something about you, baby. So I be here you, baby. Tonight.
1: I first heard Brother when his song Blue Eyes appeared on the soundtrack of Garden State. Um, I just also discovered the Shins and Iron and Wine the same way. Definitely a top five soundtrack if you're not familiar with it. That's the uh, Zach Braff movie from from the late '90s with Natalie Portman. Oh,
2: yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah Sorry, yeah. I was
1: drawing a blank there. No, that's all right, right, Yeah. So, I mean, there was just a ton. I really appreciate how he kind of picked out a lot of the uh, indie music that was starting to develop yeah. before I even knew there was.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. I, I have the soundtrack. The, the, it's the genre
1: very good was I, I developing just had a disconnect there for a minute. Kerry Brothers' version makes uh, use of a delay pedal in a way that would make the edge proud, uh, creating interesting new melodic flourishes with his guitar. Sure, he loses the funky rhythm of the original, but he replaces it with a light, soaring tone that's complemented with backing vocals from Lauren Jansen. If you don't know a lot about Brothers, uh, he spent time in Nashville before he moved out west to the, to the west coast. Uh, he's released two full studio albums and has licensed his music to several dozen television shows over the past few decades. He's also toured with the likes of Sarah Bareilles, KT, K-T Tunstall, Matt Nathanson, and The Fray. And th- there really is a market for for that um, in terms of licensing music for commercials and television shows oh, yeah. for indie artists because it's much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, they They know that they can get great quality music that isn't hasn 't at least been commercially successful, and you know people that are struggling to kind of find their voice or at least find a, a big contract and break through to the mainstream can find it very lucrative as they they, they work on that uh, that sound oh, absolutely. and so that 's probably where he 's made most of his money touring and licensing his songs yeah I mean there was a list when I was looking through a list of, of at least three dozen television shows and commercials that featured his original work. Mm-hmm. But this one here, yeah, it just, I, I, I'm interested to see what you think on this because you, you do like more of the, the jazzier funk stuff, but uh, I like his take on this.
2: I, yeah. I, I think it's, it's wonderful. I, um, I, I'd be hard pressed to, to actually give you a, a clear reason why I'm drawn to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think to the ear for most listeners, it's just another one of those stripped, you know, versions that we've we talked about last last time. But there's something about his delivery. His yes. delivery, I mean, you can tell the jazz background uh, is is definitely or the jazz appreciation is definitely a part of his uh, repertoire. It, he just has that very he has that flow, you mm-hmm. know, that that's so common in crooners. and And I, I think that it it serves the song. Lyrically, especially very well. I mean, it's just, it's it's a very beautiful number as as he performs it.
1: I, I think it's tough because most of these '80s songs that are so great are up tempo, and so if you're going to put a different spin on them, you're going to slow them down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously there were ballads in in, in the '80s. Um, I'm trying to think of some that were turned around the other direction and, and made. I, I think I might have one on my list here later on, but mm-hmm. yeah, usually it's 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 taking the yeah. the dance your tracks and making them more indie. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, and you know, when we did couple skate for Valentine's Day, what, two years ago, three years ago now? Um, you know, I I was really kind of surprised because I'd not considered it before then. There were not a lot of great romantic ballads right. from the 1980s. That that just was not a a staple of, right. of the 80s music mm-hmm. industry. Um, I mean, th- there are plenty of love songs but I mean so many of them are in fact up tempo and, and I, I don't know why that is um, so yeah I think there's good reason to to strip down so many of those 80s numbers it's just that you know 24 cuts of guitar accompaniment slow ballads would have
1: been sure. a little yeah, too much for yeah bit.
2: you gotta mix it up but um, no I really I dig this version by him a lot.
1: All so. right, that's my first pick.
2: Okay, well, mine is is uh, the polar opposite of what you just gave. I, <laughs> I uh, this is the one, arguably the one metal song I brought to the table. Um, it is by a um, a rising synthwave uh, metal group by the names of Young Medicine. Um, it is a just a rocking. Rocking I a kick-ass version of Rockwell's original Somebody's Watching Me.
3: I always feel like somebody's watching me. I always feel like somebody's watching me and I have no privacy.
2: Young Medicine, uh, they, they pull the best from diverse genres, actually, to build a carefully constructed music identity. It, it kind of defies simple, cat, simple categorization. Categoriz- <laughs> We're having a tough time <laughs> We are. Hey. Wow. It defies simple categorization. Um, I mean, there's thumping double bass beats and crunchy guitar riffs, um, and they, they hammer out hard-hitting rhythms while chorus lines partner with this sparkling retro synth tone uh, for a stunning mix of audio ideas. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Um, if synthwave and metal got together and started a boy band, the result might sound something like Young Medicine. I don't. I don't know how else to describe it. But <laughs> no, I think that that, works. that is the uh,
1: the very. Uh, uh, the essence of what you're trying to say?
2: Yeah, I, I guess. I, I I hope that. I don't made... know,
1: folks. If we're just tired this morning and didn't have enough coffee, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're having. We're having but
2: hopefully that time. made sense. It will make sense when you listen to the
1: number. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, this now, is uh, what happens when we try to describe ex- music exactly uh, through um, words.
2: Exactly. Um, they, uh, young medicine, they have put themselves on the map as pioneers for a new era by bringing rock star swagger to the retro wave. Movement, and it is hard. I mean, this is—I—I I don't know that it is metal, but it is. I found them under metal covers
3: hmm, okay. years ago
2: okay. uh, on Spotify. Now, Spotify is not always correct in their uh, analysis of a particular artist's genre, but it, they definitely have that—you uh, know—that—that that pulsing, very gritty um, beat to it. You might just argue they're hard rock, but to me, there there are definite metal elements at work here. Um, Young Medicine, uh, they made a statement early, uh, releasing their debut album Interlinked in 2019 to widespread fan and influencer support, including the group being named in Alternative Press's Top 12 Bands You Need to Know. The album also received prominent Billboard charting, landing spots on the Top 10 Alternative New Artist albums, and Top 25 New Artist Heat Seekers charts. Um, obviously, not Billboard Hot 100 artists, but but they, they have had some chart success. Um, the band propelled themselves into tens of thousands of Spotify monthly listeners practically overnight, while a series of original music videos piled up hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. Uh, the recording uh, soon caught the attention of independent label Fixed, Again, spelled F I X T. That was the same label that uh, Prism was signed to. Uh, we talked about them two weeks ago, um, and uh, the deal they signed, uh, Young Medicine signed in, in twenty twenty. As for somebody's watching me, this cover is just. Oh, I love this cover. This is everything Rockwell's was not. Okay, uh, including a little bit creepy in its delivery I mean, the only thing creepy about Rockwell's original version was Rockwell himself <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, the, the man showers in his, in his shorts so yeah, we'll, we'll it leave it at that but uh, this version oh I, I just love it um, the band actually released a statement through the label that read quote somebody's watching me has always been one of the first songs any of us plays when we hook up to our bus stereo on tour and we've been talking about covering it for years From the bass line to the main synth arp, there are so many instrumental motifs that translated really well to a full heavy band sound. The hardest part was deciding how to handle Rockwell's theatrical verse vocals without copying them, but still paying homage to the original." Um, And I think they do it incredibly well. Um, I absolutely love Young Medicine's metalcore cover of this paranoid classic. You have pulsing synthesizers fusing with hard-hitting guitars. Uh, they include eerie wolf howls uh, in the song itself. It's just an overall sinister atmosphere. Um, and he lead vocalist... I forget the lead vocalist's name. I don't have it here in front of me. Um, he actually wavers. I mean, he gets um, the anxiety. You can feel it building, and then he starts screaming. Not This is not like... Um, screamo metal by, right, any, right. by any stretch but you, you can just he, he plays with the theatrics of the of the delivery very very well um it, it would honestly be a fantastic addition to any halloween playlist um we are not doing a our traditional halloween episode next month we'll talk more about it at the end of this episode but if we were this would be a prime candidate for inclusion so yeah i just thought i'd start with something something hard
1: very good so, i like it i have a metal song
2: coming yep. up too as well yeah we we actually um, just coming from two different um, pathways we we matched one another very yeah. well with oh, yeah. our picks this time around
1: well this is a song I think didn't you just talk about Betty Davis size Kim Carnes not too long ago uh,
2: yes well, why did I what name, episode it was, the was name that drop. name drop name drop yes yes, 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 yes yes name drop
1: so did you know and you probably did did you say this and I just didn't catch it who originally wrote Betty Davis' ice and yeah. recorded it? Yeah, I um, Jackie Del Shannon. Jackie, Jackie Del okay. Yes. Yeah, All it right. was, and she thought it would
2: be a rock and roll number, but it, the label made her uh, created as a as a jazz. Yes, influenced. It, 1974
1: is yeah. when she. Um, released her version of it so this is one of those that's, that's a cover but I think a lot of people didn't know it was a cover correct yeah not only because it's it's completely different but the, the first one didn't hit didn't chart well
2: and DeShannon wasn't even a fan really right, she right. she actually much prefers Kim Carn's version because that's what she wanted to record herself and was not able to
1: now technically this song then could have been used last uh, episode as well because yeah. it's it's a cover of a cover again. Yeah, right? yeah you exactly. It. Jump to 2007, where Portland alternative band Sexton Blake released their second and final record, an album of Genex covers called "Play the Hits." They included standards like "Human Nature," "The Logical Song," "Hungry Heart," and this retread of Betty Davis' eyes. Retain primarily the same melody, but introduce this new three chord guitar riff that replaces kim karn 's keyboard riff that underlies the entire song and that 's my favorite part of this version. I love that little three chord mm-hmm. guitar it 's very very simple, um, not affected at all, but it, it changes it from a keyboard song there 's keyboard in it, but it right, changes right. It from a keyboard song to kind of a, a guitar song, which I like the vocals. Are straightforward but pleasing, and the production gives it an almost haunting kind of a remorseful tone, as if it were a song of loss.
2: That was the first thing that came to me here, right. listening to it when when I received your your song choices. Yeah, it, it's not uh, it is not delivered in the same way that we know the original. Uh, it, it's there, there's definitely a melancholy yes. uh, to this version that you know the original. The original just. Kind of smacked of um, envy and and maybe even some uh, some jealous. I, I always felt, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, of course, it's a female sure. uh, singer, Kim Carnes. Speaking of another woman uh, here, though, yeah, it, it just sounds very. There's just a lot of remorse, and and I I don't know that that is that that's a, a deliberate. I think it's intentional, yeah. yeah well, I, I think it's deliberate on the part of the of. of his delivery, but I don't know that the lyrics call for that necessarily, but it, it is a very,
1: but that's what I like. You can take even lyrics yeah. and you can sing them oh, in a yeah, different fashion absolutely. and bring on a whole new meaning.
2: Yeah. I, I like, I like how he plays with it. Yeah. I, I do. I think it's really, really cool.
1: Well, in Kim's car, I mean, that, that version was, I think the number one top selling song of 1982. Um, but it does sound dated Oh, very with much. the claps, the eighties <laughs> affected claps. Yeah. Um,
2: well, you know, for the longest time, just synth pop sounded dated, right? But you know, as we're sh- as we're showing here, it is it has come full circle. It's it's now you know everywhere right. in, 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 in indie music. So um, it, it almost is going to, in time. If this trend continues, it's going to be very difficult to differentiate what was you know Gen X and what. Yes,
1: I like that. I I,
2: I do too. I I think it's. I never fully understood why the synth died a quick death. I mean, it it was guilty pleasure at the time, and I know rock and rollers, of course they they found the sound offensive to the ear. But you know, it it marked the eighties in such a
1: defined way. But the music was was good. I mean, it it was not. It was just the production. We had all this new technology. Yeah. And here's the difference. I think what's the difference between a fad and something that lasts is it's picked up by a different generation. So what are some things that are classic? How about jeans and a T-shirt? That's been classic since the 1950s. Right. Why? Because every generation adopted that. Yeah. Uh, Saying things like cool, the word cool, right? It's pretty much used in the lexicon of every generation. Um, Disco, as as it were, disco, didn't really. Now, we... You know dance music continued and so forth, yeah. but not in the same style as disco, and so it 's looked at as a fad, and so I think that 's why the the synth pop, not the same like the synth alternative, was never seen as a fad right, no, that but, was but the synth pop, yeah early eighties pop stuff with a lot of synth was was seen as as a fad and sounded dated but you 're right if if now a new generation begins to play with that sound, um, it 's going to sound more classic in the future it's going to sound timeless, yeah. yeah, which I think is going to be.
2: I, what a what a wonderful thing for yeah. these artists! You know that so many of them, the reason they were one or two hit wonders was because you know the the synthesizer which they had relied so heavily upon was basically you know it it it, it faded yeah so quickly. Yeah. Um, if they were able to adapt, you know, to pick up a guitar, for instance. I think a lot of them would have had more longevity. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really cool to actually be able to hear that music and maybe 10, 20 years from now say that it is timeless, yeah. not dated at all.
1: Two other elements of 80s, early 80s music that defines it. The guitar solo. Right. Oh, yeah. had to have a guitar solo, so much so that uh, Michael Jackson hired uh, Eddie Van, Van Halen to do a guitar solo on beat it. <laughs> And the sax solo. Oh, yeah. Every song, oh, not every song, but so many songs have yeah. the obligatory sax solo.
2: And and that is, that's something. Now, I love the sax, I'm, you know, jazz fan here. I, I love, and blues, too. I, I love the sax, but not as it was employed in <laughs> 80s music. It was so deliberate to the point that it, it just, I, when you talk about tropes and you talk cliche, it, it made every torch song just
1: so Yeah. Cheesy. You know? I wonder if now the late eighties to me was defined at least as far as pop music on um by the David Foster sound. Mm. That Chicago that that late eighties I, I guess it started a little bit in the early eighties with Chicago, but definitely in the late eighties, just a really slick produced oh, yeah. taking the keyboard, but now the keyboard's no longer in the hands of somebody who's barely learned the instrument and is just being creative. But to a musician who's using it in a symphonic way, i don't know man i I just bring in the strings, you know you're David yeah. Foster, bring in the strings, bring in the quartet you don't need to have you know try to save money by trying to mimic actual performances with a keyboard that to me is completely different right than Devo taking a keyboard and making music around it
2: oh yeah, I well you know they were they were as we we talked about, you know, at the time they were sh- they were very purposefully deconstructing right. music. Right. It, it's an entirely different agenda. Um, yeah, no, it's. Well,
1: I assume whew. I assume we're going to be putting um, Jackie Del Shannon's version on the mentioned songs again. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. But
1: uh, I just I think people should listen to it because. I didn't listen to it. I don't always listen to the mentioned songs list mm-hmm. that we put together, so I hadn't heard it, but I listened to it this time. And I think listeners may be shocked to hear how it was originally this kind of mid tempoed honky-tonk number. Yeah. Complete with slide guitars and backup singers and horns.
2: I kind of dig it. I'm so glad you said that, because when I listened to it uh, prior to the, the Name Drop episodes, it did. It's, it To me, it just smacked of honky-tonk. I yep. mean, there was a, it was so clearly country-influenced. Yep but Jackie DeShannon and her label both categorized it at the time as 20s jazz influenced not at all except. and which made me laugh. I, I don't I feel I think I may have brought that up at the time if, for, on the name drop episode and how I did not necessarily agree with their right. uh, description but yeah I'm so <laughs> thank you because it is not 1920s jazz inspired no uh, maybe inspired but certainly not uh <laughs> not yeah. not emulated. Nope, we'll leave nope. it at that. Um yeah, it's it's pretty wild and it's not it's not it's not a terrible song, but it's definitely there's a reason Kim Carnes charted and Jackie DeShannon did not. We'll leave but it at that. I think that.
1: it's a great case. If you took the three versions and played them back to back to back, another great example of how you can take a single melody. Oh yeah. Uh, instead of lyrics and apply them to three completely different mm-hmm. circumstances. Agreed
2: yeah we could actually do do that with a few few uh, tracks Mm -hmm. uh, from this two part episode Um, okay my next one Um, (laughs) my next cover comes from the Hot Rats now they are a side project by two members of Supergrass and if you don't know Supergrass uh, they are a a band they started mid 90s um, alternative modern rock just a driving force. They're actually, they're well known within, you know, that fan base. Uh, Two of the members, um, Gaz Kumbiz and and Danny Goffey, they just decided to begin this side project. Uh, It was 2010 when they did it. Um, Supergrass was, was taking time off. They were on hiatus and these two, they just decided they were going to have some fun and try some new arrangements of a number of, Songs from varied artists that they really enjoyed. I mean, it was just you know covers for the the enjoyment. Very Gen X, actually. They they it was a vanity project. Yeah, they, they were out to have fun for themselves. Um, and the the songs they ended up uh, releasing an album uh, with twelve cuts. Uh, the album's name was Turn-Ons, and the twelve cuts that paid tribute to a variety of artists. They were. They were pretty damn good songs, um, and and the artists uh, that that are covered here they range from the Cure to the Doors. Okay, there's a lot going on on this particular album. On paper, the track list reads like a collection of songs its creators always wanted to play but couldn't find an excuse to. So there you go. Honestly, that is exactly the case. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what they did, and they actually they they. They found gold. Um, thanks to the contributions of longtime Radiohead producer, Nigel Goodrich, the collection, it was damn good. And the textured imitation, don't get me wrong, uh, the textured imitation cat yowls on the love cats here will not cause listeners to forget exit music. Okay, so, um, but still, it, it's a terrific sounding album. And Kumba's and, and Goffey's obvious pleasure made it a worthy listen. But there's one track, one track that just blew my mind, um, in a good way. I mean, this this is just this may be my favorite song of these six. Um, you know, the six for this week. Um, only a supergrassian take on "You Got to Fight for Your Right to Party" <laughs> um, could so radically mess with the source material. in shock when i heard this for the first time and i loved it okay um let's talk for a moment about the original version you gotta fight for your right to party was an unlikely fusion of jock rock hair metal and golden age party rap that helped to make the beastie boys license to ill the first hip-hop album to reach number one in the united states not to mention the best-selling rap album of the 1980s then, after collecting their paycheck, though, Mike D, Adrock, and MCA essentially abandoned, if not outright disowned, the song. Insisting that it was a joke that had gone on for too long. Which begs the question, how do you ironically cover a song that's already a parody of itself?
1: Make it serious?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you do. Earnestly. That's the answer. And based on this version of Fight for Your Right from the Hot Rats, it is a it's It's just incredible. Um, bearing in mind supergrass classics, I, I don't know if you know the band. I but, don't, but bearing in mind some of their raucous uh, numbers such as Caught by the Fuzz and Richard the Third, I was expecting a similarly raucous take on on punk on the punk rap of, of Beastie Boys Five Your right. Instead, I got a brilliant psychedelic swirl with high register vocals that gave the immediate impression that this was beamed in right from the 1960s. Hmm. Okay. Uh, being a covers band, I was not expecting the Hot Rats to reinvent the wheel. But they did just that. On paper, on paper, an acoustic-based falsetto-laden revision of a frat boy anthem looks disastrous. Uh, but but Goombas and, and Guthrie, they, they they tackled the song with inspired poise. Beastie Boys' angst-ridden shouting was repurposed into understated melodies, with Goffey's propulsive backbeat picking up the slack. Meanwhile, spacious production on on the piano and and a few well-placed percussive textures, there is cowbell. (laughs) And it works. So, thankfully, it works. It it just lent the song an expansive loping quality, I guess. I I don't know how else to say it. Uh, To me, it, it resembled the landmark work's of Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, and Ginger Baker. Oh, when I first heard this song, it was uncanny. I mean, it was eerie because it sounded like it was an outtake of Cream. Late, Late
1: 1967, yeah. 1968.
2: Yeah. That's exactly. I, I just I listened, and I mean, it. This was Cream. It was. It was phenomenal. I'm. I'm dead serious, folks. Had I had I not known better, I would have believed that this was an original recording. By Cream, late sixties. I can see that. It is incredible, this version of Beastie Boy's classic You Gotta Right or You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party. I, I'm really hoping that our listeners will dig this one because it is this may be my favorite of the twelve, honestly. Because it's just wholly unexpected. It is it is like you said many times last week, it's an example of a great song, you know, can transcend genre. It, it just it can find its place in a great melody. You know, it, it it's it's a great melody, no matter how it's performed. So i I cannot speak highly enough of this particular version. Um,
1: I, I what what did, sometimes I just regret the fact that I was more mature than my peers because when that song came out, we were in seventh grade. Yeah, oh yeah, and I just thought it was so juvenile.
2: It was, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> so, I thought so too. In fact, the one that really got me because all everyone was so about the song girls oh yeah Yeah. and to me it was just i mean i was not mature enough at that time to understand you know a lot of the misogyny of the song and you know i I wasn't offended by it as i would be now as an adult whose eyes are open but i um yeah but i just i never understood i mean brass monkey yes and no sleep till brooklyn yes but yeah those two you know, you you got to fight for your right and, and girls. I just, I didn't get it either. Yeah, I, I didn't appreciate it. But
1: well, and they had even even back then with the misogyny. Like they, I knew it wasn't right that they had right. cages on stage with yeah with go go dancers in well, yeah. cages and I think, giant uh, penis balloons. Yeah, being passed around.
2: We I mean, we I think we all understood that that was
1: you know yeah inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but,
2: but but you know there was also. You know, it was the '80s, and a lot of things were forgiven that should not have been. And you know, there was a market for that. Um, it, I'm well, they right. didn't. There, the there's, th- there still is a market. And for they didn't that. invent
1: the girl so. in the cage thing. I mean, obviously, no, that was something no. back from
2: it. That the... that goes back to the Go Go's. Right. Not 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 dancers. Go Go dancers. Yeah. Dancers. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not 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 talking Belinda Carlisle. Right, <laughs> right. I Don't think the Go Go's ever performed in cages. Maybe they did. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I just um, I don't know. I I kind of had a. I wouldn't say it's a love-hate relationship because I never felt passionately about Beastie Boys. I mean, as, as a Jew, I mean, all the Jewish teens were, you know, proud to call them, you know, our own because right. it was right. three Jewish boys from Brooklyn. But I, uh, nonetheless, I, I just, I don't know. I never had a, a real connection to the Beastie Boys, um, which is one of the reasons why this particular cover, I mean, I just immediately was drawn in. I mean, in... in a way that I never would expect a cover to move me, when the original meant nothing. This at might
1: all. be my favorite of your picks. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. No, it it is just so cool. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it.
1: Your turn. All right. Well, um, I'm going back to the well again. <laughs> We've talked about Phil Collins and how much material he was able to get from the unfortunate split. From his wife back in 1979 1980 and songs like in the air tonight if leaving me is easy which i think that we also featured both of those please don't ask i mean there are just a ton of songs from genesis and phil collins that that just address the pain and hurt that he felt when that marriage broke up and uh and you could argue some of his best material came from that well, um, another one of those um, didn't appear until a couple of years later in 1984 when a movie called Against All Odds came out. Yep. And the theme to Against All Odds, which is called Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, um, came from that same recording session. Now, the song was essentially written for the film, but he went back to the demos um, from 1980, 1981, and where he had the original melody and the original concept for the song. And then he took that and, and then built the song You know, for the for the film, Um, but originally started back at that point. So jump ahead to 2004, when indie supergroup The Postal Service, unfortunately, only had one record, Um, (laughs) one and done. But what a great one it was! Covered the song uh, for the uh, Wicker Park soundtrack. heard of wicker park no (laughs) no i have not well i hadn't either so i looked into it and it starred josh hartnett and i'm like okay it's got some star power why haven't i heard of it well based on the reviews that i skimmed (laughs) it seems like the uh, cover um may be the bright spot uh, of the the entire project Uh, the cover of of against all odds because it had like a 20 percent on rotten tomatoes really yeah yeah, oh wow
2: um well I don't remember the I don't remember against uh, the movie against all odds being all that particularly great
1: either. But I didn't see it. I I, I did. Well, I, but it's a remake of another movie. Yeah,
2: like, um, I think it was a foreign film actually. I think that, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, we were the wrong age. We were not the demographic for against all odds. Right. But, but um, yeah, I remember watching it. We we had the movie channel, which at the time was the only uh, movie, you know, based uh, channel that you could purchase, if I remember correctly.
1: Well, you had HBO and the Movie Channel.
2: And Cinemax, but I think yeah. the Movie Channel predated. Might have, I could be wrong on that. They probably did. Um, for a while, my parents had all four. They had the Movie Channel, Showtime, HBO, and Cinemax, and I never understood why we needed all four. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I remember, against all odds, being uh, on each one of them, HBO, the Movie Channel, I don't know. And I watched it, and I just, I didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just so slow, and... I don't know. I haven't went back to
1: watch I it I mean, it's, it's just adult. probably an adult relationship drama, yeah, right? Yeah, th- that's all it was. That's what yeah. I gathered from the video, which had clips from the, from the movie in right. it. Right, so.
2: yeah. And one and two, I think it was one of those, if you watched the video, you saw the movie. Yeah. <laughs> there no, was no actually, need to, to to look further into it. Um, so
1: the Postal Service version starts out with a single keyboard accompanied the heavily affected tinny vocal. You know how they'll take the vocal and they strip all the bass out of it. It sounds right. really, really tinny. Um for the for actually for the for the entire first verse and the first chorus it's that way.
2: Yeah, it, it that to me I I don't know. The first time I heard this version by the Postal Service because I I knew this before you brought it um with your list. I I did, I didn't know what I really thought or what I felt about this cover. Um because it, it to me it was almost you know I I had in the, in my mind this image of somebody trying to communicate through, um, you know, through radio, mm-hmm. transmit transmission, and you know, just they were having difficulty. I, I don't know. I, I had this whole narrative in my mind listening to the song, right. and as the song ends with the beep at the end, you yeah. know, it, it, it just I imagine someone you know on transmission trying to yeah, get, no, trying that, to get that could through be it, um, and the static, the static was I thought um, at the beginning first verse and chorus, it's an interesting approach. But it also, to me, it was distracting. Yeah. On the on the number, once it clears and the song really begins. Oh, that's
1: that's what I'm going to talk about next. Yeah, it's a totally different effect. I that's one of the great greatest moments. You know, there are moments in songs that you just wait for. Um, probably the clearest example since I'm thinking about Phil Collins now would be the drum solo in, in the Air Tonight. Oh, yeah, right? the drum break. Yeah. Um, but there are there are certain songs where it, it would either change tempo. Think about, say, you say me from Lionel Richie. There's that little. Uh, Up tempo bridge, there are just moments in songs where you just are waiting for it to happen, and it does. And I think this is a perfect example of that because when it gets past that kind of just you know banal opening, not not a bad way because I think it serves the song. uh, If you didn't have that kind of minimalist intro, then the transition wouldn't be as impactful, right? Because then the song just launches in with with the the main rhythm of the song and the full you know arrangement of instruments and the full vocals. And it's just great. It is. It's great. Yeah.
2: It, it, it is arguably one of the best covers, um, probably of the, of the last twenty years. In fact, I, I know, like Pitchfork, Enemy, a, a lot of uh, Consequences Sound, a lot of them have said as much. They Are they? They, they actually rank this very high in their list of covers.
1: Yeah, and, and it, we said this. We're, we're like a broken record here, but this is another example of how you can maintain a, a, a melody and completely change the arrangement. Uh, for a cover so it's not competing with the original i would not put this against phil collins version it's completely different but you've taken that melody and you've done two different things right right um so good postal service uh, as i mentioned was, was short-lived releasing only one record in 2013 and it was a, a super band a uh, super group uh, that came from different bands uh, most notably the front man that came from from death Cat for cutie um, there were rumors for a decade after that, that the band was working on a second record it almost became like Chinese Democracy with um, ah. Guns N' Roses because everybody talked for 10 years about how there was going to be another Postal Service record but uh, the band put that rumor to rest in 2013 they said there is no um, follow up record in fact they played uh, together for the last time at the Lollapalooza after show in 2013
2: hmm. yeah I, I remember the rumors so it's, so. Been,
1: it's been you know Quite some quite some time, and you know, we're probably not going to uh, hear from them again.
2: No, I would think not.
1: Now, uh, what I really like from that album is their version of. Um, actually, no, I have it backwards. So Iron and Wine, which I already mentioned that I discovered on the on the Garden State, right um, soundtrack, does a cover of "Such Great Heights," which is an original from the Postal Service, on one of his records. Oh, okay, which is really good. Yeah, I am. Um... In fact, "Such Great Heights," which was kind of the marquee song from this record. Covered by a lot of alternative artists, including yeah. Ben Folds, and
2: uh, I'm trying to think about, but a ton. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, and I, I know many of them.
1: Um, yeah. Do you know who else covered this song that we could have included? It's not bad. It's not bad. It just kind of worked. Is, um, Mariah Carey. Oh, oh, against all odds. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I jumped back to against all odds. Yeah.
2: I was thinking I do not remember <laughs> Mariah doing such great hikes. No, but, no. but um no, her version it's okay. Yeah. And she she has a number of covers. I if I was going to showcase Mariah, I probably would have done it last um, on yeah, part right, 1. Right, sure. I mean, I'll be there. The Jackson 5 uh, cover from Unplugged would have been the logical choice, but um yeah, she's she's taken quite a few Okay, uh, You're up. My next one. Uh, now it's time for me to, to give you some stripped down uh, right. takes on, on 80s numbers. Um, beginning with this one. My next selection is Dancing in the Dark by singer-songwriter Lauren O'Connell. I get up in the evening
3: And I ain't got nothing to say Come home in the morning But tired And I'm just tired
2: She hails from Oakland, California, and she has a very unlikely process when it comes to reimagining original recordings. Now, she's very lucky is what this comes down to, because any other artist who attempted to cover much beloved songs uh, in this way, the townsfolk would be at her door with, you know, with
1: Pitchforks and... Pitchforks torches. And, and
2: torches, yeah. I mean, it, it's... She literally... In, it, in fact, it, to say that she creates, you know, the Frankenstein... Uh, Frankenstein's creature with every new cover is not too far-fetched. But she pulls it off. You know, she's just... She has a an innate ability to do this. Uh, first of all, she has an affinity for dark, very bleak cover songs. Okay. Uh, The trouble is, as a recording artist, she wants to convey, evoke, and and provoke listeners without thoroughly learning the original recording. Um, She readily admits that she doesn't spend too much time on any one particular part of a song. Rather, she just waits until something feels exciting and then follows where it leads her. She lets the, the instrument and her voice drag her along for the ride, if that makes sense. Uh, Okano wants to get lost in the process. She wants to get gone and stay there, stopping just short of complete evisceration. Uh, Okano deconstructs indie rock, and even alt-country for that matter, gently and completely. Uh, the songs become minor where before they were major, agitated where it was fluid, sometimes by introducing a completely new melody. Okano is a multi-instrumentalist who plays all the instruments on her songs, and those tracks that feature harmonies are layered, each voice her own. And while she generally uses traditional instruments, she often uses unconventional means when recording, including wine glasses, a metal tool cabinet, kicks to a garage tour, a, a, a tennis racket covered in change, and a deck of playing cards. In this way, she uh, likes to work from, from the ground up when recording her music. Very often she will deliberately not learn a song note for note, instead grabbing on what sticks out first. And she's been doing it this way for eight independently released albums, each and every one of them haunting. Mm. Um, she toys with the song structure uh, in spite of purists, who have a, a very contrarian view, and she's quick to give dissenters the finger. She, she's, like I said, um, you know, for my last choice, this is very Gen X. She started doing this because, you know, she was entertaining herself, mm-hmm. the fact that she has become so wildly popular well, that 's just you know uh, that 's just a perk i guess of of the
1: uh you stay true to yourself and people will like it
2: yeah Not and, always but, yeah. not yeah um but that 's very much uh the case here um she 'll play with the cadences or the chords, uh, always looking for different to add uh, different elements. And the way O'Connell's voice breaks, here's, here's her signature sound, to me anyway. When she is singing, she always sounds, no matter the song, as if she's choking back tears, hmm. okay? which gives her song's original or cover just this heartbreaking veneer. Um, as she tells it, her story really takes off um, when she got a call from Scissor. Uh, this is a European publicist firm with Mercedes-Benz on its roster of clients. They wanted a fresh yet creepy sound for the automaker's new advertising campaign. And they specifically tagged O'Connell. Now, in case you're wondering why that is, how they found her, why they'd want her, it is because they had caught her version of the House of the Rising Sun. Um, Ryan Murphy, writer, creator, and executive producer of the FX series American Horror Story, Featured her cover of the song in its third season, Coven, which was first broadcast in twenty thirteen. It
1: was one with Lady Gaga, right?
2: Yeah, um, no.
1: Coven. It was all about the different. Witches, no, no, right? no,
2: oh, no. Uh, no. Uh, Lady Gaga debuted in the uh, the Vampire oh, season okay. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. with the Hotel. That's right. He right. It yep. was the Hotel. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, Coven was. Um, Jessica Lang was still in that season. It was okay. with The Witches. I, I, I watched American Horror Story for like the first five or six seasons. I, I meant to go back and watch the rest. I, I never became disenfranchised. I just watched the first. The first one was definitely yeah. the best. It's still the, the best of the ones I've seen. But uh, Coven was good, though. In fact, um, they returned to The Witches for a, a later season, um, too. Stevie Nicks, actually, oh. is... Uh, at least makes a couple of cameos. Cool. It. It's kind of cool, um, but uh, wow, well, that was a detour. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, it's exactly what you were just saying uh, with uh, something about you. I, mean, the FX, um, you know, show they Ryan Murphy just found her song. She's an independent artist. He used the song very cheaply, and and you know, and it, it made its way into American Horror Story to great effect great effect um then scissor they they caught the episode in syndication no less years later 10 years later and um they decided this was their 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 girl this was who they wanted uh, for the ad campaign Um, and she uh, she, obviously she was wholly surprised by it Um, scissor they told her that they wanted noir they told her that they wanted it uh, creeping out from O'Connell's very dark places. <laughs> These are all quotes by her. They wanted something menacing and intense. What came out, frankly, was probably the scariest version of the Beatles come together you've ever heard. And in fact, I wish I had. I, I knew Lauren O'Connell uh, by. I, I knew two or three of her covers. In fact, one every year for Hallow- for our Halloween episode it always made my short list and I always cut it and that's House of the Rising Sun. Mm -hmm. The one used by American Horror Story, it is the most chilling but also arguably the coolest cover I think I've ever heard of any song. I mean, it is just really that good. It'll definitely make the mention songs list but I didn't know her entire catalog until I started looking into it for this episode Um, but Had I, her version of Come Together would have made our Beatles Undercover hmm. episode yeah. without question, because her her version of Come Together, which she created for Scissor for the Mercedes Benz uh, campaign, it's the, it <laughs> it's hard to describe. It, she makes it dark, okay, which is her thing, but the treatment is almost Woody Guthrie meets the Beatles meets Edgar Allan Poe, and it, it's just oh, it it strings and it's it's just it's. It's great, that, yeah. yeah. Um, so either way, O'Connell, she takes ownership, okay, straight away of any song that she performs. And, you know, that that's, uh, you know, it's one thing to extract emotions from an original song. It's another entirely to inject it into a song that isn't yours to begin with. And she does it remarkably well. She admits, though, that she's a slow writer when it comes to her originals. Uh, She says that's why she loves covers so much. Uh, She says, I try not to learn the song too thoroughly, uh, get the chord structure down without too many conscious decisions. I'll pick up an instrument. If that doesn't happen, I'll move on. I think with Come Together, she said, I I started out immediately on keyboards. It was like throwing spaghetti against the wall. Uh, But that one-two combination of American Horror Story and the international advertising campaign for Mercedes-Benz, that brought her her audience. And she has continued to grow in popularity. There are she has um, eight albums, three of them are cover album covers albums, um, but you you can purchase them all uh, online. She only communicates with her fans uh, online. Uh, she's never been interested in touring, and she she says her fans are so spread out. Remember the Mercedes Benz campaign was international. Her fans are so spread out that she says it's just easier to reach them online um what i love about the version or the 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 track that i chose again it's dancing in the dark by springsteen um is that her take on the on the boss here it's it i don't know there's something very natural about the rise and fall of her voice we we talked about this a little bit uh, with your Tom Petty mm-hmm. selection. Yeah, yeah. How Tom Petty, the lyrics did not necessarily match his delivery right. and Fallon, you know, he just sounds, there's so much angst in his. Um, when I listen to Lauren O'Connell's version of Dancing in the Dark, I hear her envy, her regret, her loathing, her gloom. Um, at first, it, it's with depressed trepidation and, and then it, it just swells with restless angst and to me, it feels so real, and it mirrors Springsteen's lyrics on on the track, um, in in a way that Springsteen does not. You know, there's there's no expression. Sure. I mean Springsteen is Springsteen, right? right? You know, um, and I find the theatrics, and it, it is very theatrical, but I find it wholly convincing, and it adds another layer to the song that Bruce himself does not convey. Um, it is stripped down. That it she does have, um, again, she she has a. a at least two uh, vocal tracks laid down because there's two-part harmony. She brings in drums. That's her playing the drums as well as... Um, she's playing all instruments, again, on the track. Um, but it, but it's a very stripped-down version of, of the boss, and it's it's just, to me, a, a much more convincing version of what the lyrics are, are trying to say. Um, I almost went with Soccer Mommy. I've talked about her before. Her her, yeah, oh yeah. her acoustic right. version of uh, uh, I'm on Fires is just mm-hmm. I- incredible. But I thought no one has heard, well, you may have heard her actually if you're an American Horror Story fan or have seen the commercials, but this is an artist who, as I said, is lucky because what she's doing should not work. Um, I mean, who covers a song that they don't know the entirety of, <laughs> right? But... It works. She's actually covered a number of Springsteen songs. Mm. Uh, her most popular uh, is uh, Atlantic City. Oh wow! She really plays with Atlantic City. So um, yeah, I I hope out there if you're if you're at all you know intrigued if your if your curiosity is piqued, at the very least you don't have to like the selection I brought, but go and listen to her cover of House of the Rising Sun because mm-hmm. that's her masterpiece. Unfortunately, it's just not. Very Gen X, so
1: good. Yeah, very good. Very thorough. on that one. <laughs> I try. All right, this is the metal one I was talking about. This is uh, "Land of Confusion," mm. the uh, the Genesis classic. Uh, Genesis released "Land of Confusion" as the third single from their 1986 album "Invisible Touch." It's funny that summer. I remember "Invisible Touch" and "5150." Those are the two records I listened to the most. Hmm. Um, just weird that we're. Referring to both of them on one episode. Yeah. Um, Lyrically, the song is even, I would argue, more relevant these days than during the Cold War year of the 80s, where it was originally uh, written and performed. Uh, It went to number four on Billboard, accompanied by one of the most iconic videos of the MTV era. You remember that one, right? Oh, yes. Where the creators of Britain's um, TV show, Spitting Image, parodied the band, as well as many other icons of the time as comical puppets
2: i just remember reagan in bed with the with the, the button and the, the button of the chimp the chimp, chimp yeah bonzo a chimp. and, and yeah. nancy
1: reagan's in there and Gaddafi and yeah frank sinatra and
2: there was a lot going on politically yeah um, you know the statements being made in that in that song oh definitely so. definitely
1: so jump ahead to 2006 when heavy metal band disturbed covered the song on their third solo album directed by comic legend todd McFarlane, and if you know todd McFarlane, he's had his hands in, in not only comics but um but action figures and and lots of other medium um it's just even more blatantly political than the genesis video it is yeah uh, the song is not a huge departure from the arrangement um, similar to the, the petty and Gaslight anthem comparison but the heavy guitars the metal drums the growling vocals take it to a completely different direction.
3: Yeah,
1: um, The band even admitted that they were trying to take a song that was completely nothing like us, they said, and make it our own. Yeah, and they do it. Okay. Um, Disturbed, they they have had
2: success. Uh, uh, they've struck gold a few times, actually. Yeah, Their version of, I hate to say it, I, I feel... So ashamed saying this. In fact, when we did the name drop of no, it was uh, the Lemonheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we did part one, and I said how much I did not like their version of Mrs. Robinson, and I, I complained. I remember very specifically that you when you remove the harmonies mm-hmm. from Simon and Garfunkel, that you lose the heart of it. But Disturbed's version of Sound of Silence, oh
1: that's, yeah, that's great. I almost did that, that. Yeah,
2: I mean, if it were a if Sound of Silence was a Gen X number. Oh, it would have been first on my
1: list. Yep. Um, I almost chose it for the first part. Did you? But yeah. they weren't. It didn't fit because they weren't Gen they X weren't artists. They weren't Gen X artists. So. Yeah.
2: Um, because oh, "Sound of Silence," their version. It may be the one glaring exception because sure, yeah. it is just that song. I don't know. I when I first heard it, I was kind of. I, I still had that offended, mm-hmm. you know, um, love of Simon and Garfunkel um, that that you know was kind of repulsed and, and uh, you know upset but on repeat listenings it is so damn
1: oh it's very powerful it's very it is yeah,
2: uh, yeah. It, it is i think replaced simon and garfunkel as as my favorite version. really
1: i can't yeah. go that far but i like. i, it.
2: I no, don't get me wrong yeah. my, my love of simon and garfunkel is pure but there's just something about that version by disturbed that whew, it, it's a it's an entirely different song
1: solid i yeah. agree They do make a few minor lyrical changes in Land of Confusion. Um, Not major ones, but but a little bit here and there. And and they add a guitar solo, uh, which really adds a different flavor to the mix. Um, We talked about how eighty songs usually have a guitar solo, but there wasn't on this original. Uh, The song was a hit. It made it all the way to number one on the hot mainstream rock tracks chart, making it their most commercially successful single up to that point in their career. The band has continued to record since. In fact, they just released their eighth eighth studio record, Last year, yeah. hmm. that's yeah. just. I'm not a big Disturbed fan. No, I really I'm, don't know much other than the two we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, and those are the only two. the only, two, I only know. two songs I know. But yeah. but I love the fact because "Land of Confusion" is such a driving song. Um, it's it's to me it's it's the highlight of, of Invisible Touch the record, and um, it's timeless. The Genesis version I feel is timeless. It and, is, and, yeah. and it just I don't know. They they said they wanted to take something that wasn't them and make it their own, which which I, I guess they did. But I don't see that this they could have picked a lot more challenging songs to make their own you know like, yeah. I think this fit a metal version n- nicely yeah it wasn't uh, that much of a stretch I guess no, what I'm saying
2: I agree yeah of Confusion or An Invisible Touch I mean the, both of them I mean to me they always sounded very similar but of Confusion lyrically being you know it, it's just
1: well I think it's, it's it's probably Genesis at least Modern Genesis is um, Angriest Song uh, yeah yeah um, yeah, you know, our generation was going to set it right. The whole idea of the boomers not continuing with their with their goals for for our our country once the eighties hit, you know. Yeah. Um, but there's an anger to it. But but it is. It's probably one of their most driving songs. One of their harder songs. That's why I think it lends itself to a, a metal yeah. treatment pretty easily. Yeah. Now, if they would have tried to take Invisible Touch, which is about as poppy as you can get... It is, yeah. ...and make that, then that would have been
2: challenging. That that would have been more challenging. <laughs> but, but I just remember, you know, listening to, to Invisible Touch, you know, in, in 86, 86. Yeah, 86, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Land of Invisible Touch. It wasn't that they were akin. It was just both of them had that dry thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. um, yeah, I just... Yeah, Land of Confusion, you're right. It, I can't think of any sung by Genesis more angry mm-hmm. uh, than that one. So, yeah, you bring up a very good point. Um, okay, my next one. Uh, I am giving you Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Claire and the Reasons. comes from the 2007 album, The Movie, and it is just mind-blowing. I I love this. It's beautiful. Um, It opens with strings, which is wholly unexpected, but you can tell from the get-go what song this is going to be, and it devolves from strings into a synth structure and then comes back again, to the orchestration by Song's End. It is it is just, to me, a wild take on this 80s classic. Um, Claire and the Reason's front woman, her name is Claire Mulder, she confesses that the group is a bunch of idiots. <laughs> and She proudly asserts that they mix that into what they do because that is who they are. But she also insists that they take the music that they create very, very, very seriously they just don't take themselves that seriously. Um, it's that sense of professional whimsy, actually, that, that leads clearing the reasons to some interesting places, um, including shows in bright red jumpsuits, haiku recording diaries, and absurdist takes on 1980s classics. Um, making music that wafts and whirls, I mean, it's very breezy, very ethereal. Um, it also evokes a bittersweet nostalgia. Uh, Claire and the Reasons' musical roots uh, were sown early in Mulder's childhood. She's a storyteller at heart, um, and her literary lyricism is rooted in poetry and theatrics. So the two feature very heavily in the recording of, uh, especially their sophomore album, Arrows, from which this cover comes. Um, Another thing Claire and the Reasons are comfortable filling their albums with are high-profile collaborators. They previously worked with family friend Van Dyke Parks, and your your
1: uh Day Parks worked with Brian Wilson.
2: Yeah, but uh, also I'm trying to say this as flattering as I oh, okay. can. Your uh, muse, Sufjan Stevens, has, oh, has Sufjan recorded. Season. Yes, uh, has recorded with them as yes. well. Yes. Um, see, I was trying to be kind. You know, I would say he's
1: my muse. Okay, he's one of my <laughs> my favorite indie artists. But, okay,
2: yeah. well. <laughs> I just, I, I forever associate unicorns with the holiday season oh, now. So. Yes, good. Uh, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Um, Mulder, uh has her sights on, on uh, future collaborations as well, including with Liam Finn, Daniel Johnston, Loney Deer. Uh, however, Modair's favorite collaborator is her husband and fellow Reason member, uh, Olivia Manchin. Uh, the two met in 2005 at the Berklee School of Music where Modair studied jazz composition. Uh, Mansion brings deep classical and orchestral knowledge and roots to the group, and his sensibilities are, are an interesting merge with Mulder's because she is more attached to the American songbook. Uh, but the married songwriters do share a love of 1980s covers, and um, for a long time, the 1980s covers found their way into their live, uh, live stage performances. In um, Eventually, they they crossed into their recordings as well. Um, in fact, this album has two covers. Um, they have Tears for Fears, Tears for Fears classic. Everybody wants to rule the world, of course. They also um, have a cover of Genesis's um, "That's All." Oh, on the album, yeah, yeah, which I think you'd you'd really really Definitely, like yeah. it. Um, but yeah, their cover of Tears for Fears classic um, that I bring for the table on this uh, episode. According to Modair, the cover came about while goofing off during rehearsal. Uh, Manchin arranged the strings introduction, surprising fans in a live setting, because Claire and the Reasons are not a band known for such orchestration. In 2011, Claire and the Reasons relocated to Berlin to write their third album, which was released in 2012. Um, There's not been a release since that time. This is another one of those bands. they kept promoting, saying that a fourth album um, was on its way. Um, But then the pandemic happened. And I do not know, I have not found any evidence online that the band has split. Um, If they are in hiatus, I have no idea how long it will last. I don't, they're not, this is another young band that no one knows. So there's no information that I can find about, you know, future prospects. But um, nonetheless, she did say in the interviews uh, following their third release that uh, additional albums would include additional '80s covers when uh, they are released. So, cool. Fingers crossed. Maybe we'll hear more from Claire and the Reasons. So, all right, good pick.
1: All right. Well, now I'm going to do the opposite. I'm choosing a song that was originally a metal song and then transferred to a different uh, genre. I'm talking about Metallica's 1992 power ballad, Nothing Else Matters. It was the third single off the Black Album, a bit of a departure for the band, who had previously stayed away from writing about, quote, chicks and fast cars. (laughs) But frontman James Hetfeld admitted that this one was indeed about a woman. Jump to 2021, when over 53 artists came together to record the Metallica Blacklist. And it is. Incredible. Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> it is incredible.
1: A compilation of, of cover songs in the, for the celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Black album. Now, I have yet to listen to all the tracks, but there is a lot of interesting stuff, as Alan said, including another version of Nothing Else Matters. But you ready for this? This is one track featuring Miley Cyrus, accompanied by Elton John and Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah. Yep. It's it, it, Now, it's a lot closer to the original. I didn't go with it because the arrangement's very, very similar. Yeah. There's just some symphonic elements instead of guitars, but um, the one I'm going to talk about by My Morning Jacket is A Big Departure.
0: So close no matter how far Couldn't be much more from the heart Forever trusting who we are And nothing else matter Never open myself this way Life is ours, we live it our way All these words I don't just say And nothing else matters Trust I seek and I find a you Every day for something new Open mind for a different view And nothing else matters Never
3: care for what they do Never careful
1: they know Ever careful they know And I know Of all the songs I've chosen this one may be the biggest departure from the original This or maybe the soul uh, Soul Rebels, the one that I talked about. But what was that? Oh, that was um, uh, Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a pretty big departure too. So, my morning Jacket's version of Nothing Else Matters um, has a tempo that's much swifter. Gone are the elaborate guitar layers that are, are, introduce the song, um, and the melody has been altered to some degree. And, and a lot of times, the melody stays the same. And we talked about how they changed the arrangement and. Mm-hmm. And other factors. But in this case, they actually mess with the melody a little bit. Not enough to make it so that the song is not recognizable. You can still recognize the original in it. But enough where they really do make it their own Yeah. Uh, when they play with the, the, the melodic structure. Um, My Morning Jacket managed to take this, this metal power ballad and convert it to this poppy alternative rock song. And, you know, I, I love it. I do. I don't know how you felt about it.
2: I No, I, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah.
1: It, it's the kind of song you're going to roll a window down and kind of bob your head to. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's completely different than the Metallica version. It's just, it's incredible. But they both work. Um, as for sales of the record, half of the proceeds went to uh, Metallica's All Within My Hands Foundation. And the other half went to each cover um, artist's choice uh, of what share they wanted there proceeds to go to so you got to love it when artists come together and use their talents to directly yeah. help others
2: when everybody is on the, the metallica blacklist compilation yes. i mean everyone from just from memory you, you weezer to darius rucker i right. mean it's yeah. like it, it's everybody my favorite track is actually one of the the covers of enter sandman mm, yeah um it, it's alessia cara uh and i'm trying to remember let me look it up here real real fast because I want another, yeah. Because it's list.
1: only covers of the Black Album, right? And yeah. so th- and the songs have multiple versions from right. multiple artists, and
2: they they are sequenced in the order of the songs on the Black yes, Album. Right. So, um, yeah, Let's Kara and The Warning, their version of Enter Sandman. It's actually the very first track on Disc One. Um, Enter Sandman is just I almost went with it for yeah, this, yeah. Um, but then I said all '80s, so I it, it got removed. From yeah, the that's list. My, that's so, one of my two
1: '90s. Yeah, 90s but songs.
2: it is. Uh, yeah, the entire compilation. It's like four. If you listen to it front to back, because there are four CDs, I think it's like over four hours of music that you you're just sitting down and listening. And it's a little bit, little uneven. Some tracks are better than others, obviously. But
1: and and, there, and let me clarify: the record came out in 1991. The single hit in 92. Right. That's why I said 92. But yeah, technically it was released in 91.
2: Yep. Okay, my next track uh this one um oh i love her um i've, I've raved about diane birch and Josh stone and amelda may that this is another one of these female vocalists contemporary vocalists that i just i cannot get enough of her name is morgan james um and the track i'll, I'll i've had these long intros uh, for this particular two part episode for whatever reason the track is every time you go away i'll just get that out of the play so you can insert music here One voice sometimes is all it takes, you know. And and the right vocalist can make you fall in love at first listen. It can elicit tears. It can bring you back to a different era altogether. Um, this holds true for for Morgan James. She is a New York-based soul singer, songwriter, and Broadway actress. Uh, part of her creative trajectory has become centered around her love of covers. Um, she has, in fact, created full album cover projects she covered D'Angelo's Black Messiah front to back uh, one month after its release she has covered Jeff Buckley's Grace and she has a critically acclaimed full cover of, of Joni Mitchell's Blue album but then she took on her most ambitious project to date she did a front to back cover of both albums of the Beatles White album Wow uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of its original release and um, the singer-songwriter is also a renowned Broadway actress. She has uh, taken on beloved roles and songs to give them her unique perspective and make them her own. She, she has had starring roles in The Adams Family and Godspell. She rocked the stage as Christ herself in an all-female version of Jesus Christ Superstar. After that, she starred as Tina Marie in Motown the Musical on Broadway, then continued the role as it traveled the nation. Uh she's recorded and toured with Scott Bradley's Postmodern Jukebox. Are you familiar with hmm. the postmodern jukebox? Yeah. I'm gonna have to introduce you to that later. Uh it, it's a musical collective that covers modern songs with a vintage twist. They take today's songs and they turn them into doo-wop, rockabilly, or swing numbers. And it is wild. Um the uh Let's see, what else What else has James done? I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, James organized and starred in a Nina Simone tribute show at Manhattan's Lincoln Center. Um, it was there that Epic's Doug Morris uh, was so taken by the show that he released a live recording of it uh, as the first album under her name. It was titled Morgan James Live, a celebration of Nina Simone. It not only showcased James' powerful soprano um, and her R&B and instincts, but it also introduced her to the man who would make her songwriting dreams come true um soon after signing with epic for the nina simone show doug warmble was hired uh sight unseen to play slide guitar and uh at the end of the gig he volunteered to help james with uh her writing uh she had always wanted to write original songs Uh, she was a huge fan of Joni mitchell the beatles prince a number of prolific songwriters springsteen among them um and she excitedly took him up on his offer and he mentored her for some time. She has since released four critically acclaimed original albums, including the 2023 release, brand new, titled Nobody's Fool. Um, the New York Times has declared her as a phenomenal talent whose feel for classical classic soul music is bone deep, adding that this woman is on fire. Um, and then there are her YouTube sessions, which is really the heart of uh, what I need to talk about. Her videos on YouTube have accumulated more than 150 million views and climbing. Uh, the YouTube sessions proved even more popular during the pandemic, when she promised her fans 100 covers in 100 days. Wow! Uh, many of her choices made more meaningful by their themes of isolation, loss, and depression during the uh, the crisis. They were feelings experienced by all of us, of course, during that time. From these sessions. She chose um, 24 uh, songs, 12 each, for two volumes uh, that she released titled Quarantunes. Quarantunes Volume 1 and Quarantunes Volume 2. Yeah, she featured, um, she chose the selections based on her fans' favorites of the 100 covers that she performed. Uh, Among the songs included were uh was her, her heart rending version of the Hollow Notes ballad, the Paul Young ballad, Every Time You Go Away. Um and this is stripped. This is acoustic guitar and Morgan James and I just I, I love it. To me it's just it embod- knowing the context, it embodies everything that was, you know everything that, that was so pent up among all of us during that time when we were not allowed out of our houses um and just the the loss that's so poignant in the in the song i mean you, you can hear it in her voice just this you know complete devastation it, it's a beautiful number morgan james is just incredible i it seems there's nothing she can't do and she shows no signs of stopping she is definitely one of the premier talents uh, among the female vocalists um out there today I, I just can't get enough of her I, I love her work great awesome good take
1: all right my last one is um, a U2 song I know a lot of millennials don't dig U2 but I'm sorry they're still um, one of the greatest bands ever and um, one could argue and, and several critics have and I agree that U2's Octong Baby is the greatest record of the 90s
2: definitely top five for me
1: And the song that closes the record is a masterpiece called Love is Blindness. Originally written by Bono for Nina Simone. You just mentioned Nina Simone. Yeah. Uh, The band chose to keep it uh, by the end of their sessions because they liked it so much. So Nina did not get an opportunity to record it. During the recording of the record, uh, Edge had recently separated from his wife. And Bono said that that ending guitar solo uh, on the track uh, was just really cathartic for the guitar player. Uh, who broke several strings when recording it but did not hit a bum note. Now jump to 2011, when a compilation of U2 covers was released. So very similar to the Metallica Blacklist, the 20th anniversary of Akhtung Baby, um, we saw a um, compilation from different artists. It was called uh, Akhtung Baby Covered. It it appeared on that as well as the soundtrack to what movie? (sighs) Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby. It okay. was also featured in there as well.
2: You know, I've never seen it. What? No, nope. I've I love. Buzz I have it on Blu-ray right over here. I love Lerman, and I've seen every one of his films, but The Great Gatsby. Why? I just I've just okay. Never... You're going to go home with the, with okay. the Blu-ray. I would be it. happy to watch it today. I've I've heard great things. My my wife and my kids have seen it. I just it's, I've never
1: sat down to see it. It's Really well done. Jack's version. Uh, is great here, Jack White. Maybe I didn't even say that. Jack White is the one that uh, that does a cover of this one. He's the one that that uh, does a version of "Love Is Blindness" for the compilation. One, two, three, two, two,
0: three.
1: great, but his version still doesn't match the original. No, not at all. But I still like it, it just doesn't match the original. Um, Jack starts with the organ as well, but on the U2 version the organ is very, it's got these like giant gothic chords that bring us into the song. Uh, <laughs> Whereas I don't know if this was on purpose, Jack's organ is more like something you hear from a baseball game. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) at the very beginning. Yeah,
2: the guy that's waiting for the Adams family to play. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Um, So he starts with that, which is a little strange. Um, But then he goes into this drum loop, which is interesting. And then where he takes it from here, I just completely love. Uh, It just it's slow and steady, kind of like a vortex slowly pulling you under. Just pulling you down further and further and further
2: great analogy
1: and his vocal is just raw broken completely exposed so we know that this is what Edge was feeling when he played Um, I don't know if Jack is just able to um, muster up that emotion um, easily or maybe he was going through something uh, during the recording of the song because it just sounds so real so real Yeah. Anyway, that's Love is Blindness from Jack White. Uh, 2011 is when that cover came out. I
2: was going to say, I wonder if. I don't. What year did Jack White record it?
1: 2011.
2: When did he and Meg split? Were
1: they ever officially a couple? I don't know. They were actually married. I don't know the whole. Yeah,
2: they were married and they lied.
1: Yeah. You know, in
2: interviews saying they were brother and sister for forever, but they were actually a married couple. Um, I don't remember when they split. I, I. you you saying that about the edge, yeah, I mean, it makes maybe me wonder. It yeah, maybe. Perhaps, you know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a great version, but yeah, it doesn't compare.
1: It's one of those songs, if you haven't paid attention, a lot of times people kind of skip uh, a slow song that ends a record. Uh, Mothers of the Disappeared would be another example from you two off Joshua Tree. Um, just listen to it with your headphones, the lights out, love is, love is blindness. Crank it really loud with headphones in the dark, yeah. and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It, it's. it's Exit's another one that's kind yeah. of like that off
2: it's it's a painful song it's not um, yeah it's not light it's very heavy and it's oh it's so good I did not know the the, the anecdote the story about breaking the strings yeah, performing yeah. it though that's 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 fantastic Bono
1: originally wrote uh, wrote it on piano he doesn't normally write on piano but he wrote it on piano during the rattle hum sessions okay and it never got picked up then but then he continued to work with it and it, uh, in fact during the Actung baby sessions it's pretty legendary at this point but the band almost broke up they had all sorts of infighting and it, it, things were crumbling in their personal lives and it was just a really difficult time and they, and they almost just gave up on the whole thing and that's when Bono wrote one and he started uh, singing the opening chords of one and the rest of the band kind of chimed in and when they finished the, the first kind of run through of it they, they looked at each other and said okay let's, let's, let's center around this and let's pull it back together which of course they did yeah. no, that's cool
2: Alright, my number 12, uh, last for t- today, uh, I went with a cover by Katie Tunstall, uh, she covers Don Henley's The Boys of Summer, mm,
3: nice.
2: it comes from Invisible Empire Crescent Moon, a double album that was released in 2013. <laughs>
3: Nobody on the road, nobody on the beach I feel it in the air, the is out of reach Empty lake, empty streets, the sun goes down alone I drive by your house, I know you're not whole and I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun your hair come back and your sunglasses on, baby. And I can tell you, my love.
1: What's the song from her that's just one of my favorite songs um, of all time? Uh, she has a number She hit big. Um... um.
2: I mean, she, she hit big in 2005. Her debut, I to the Telescope, had Black Horse and the Cherry Tree. See, I hate that song. Sudden, suddenly I suddenly See.
1: Suddenly I See. It, it, actually, it. That opened up uh, Devil Wars Prada as well. Yeah. Love that song. Yeah. Which is I, funny because I hate the her other single song <laughs> well, from that record. Yeah. Um, suddenly I See is great. Anyway, yeah, go ahead.
2: Um, yeah, well, I to the Telescope, I, it sold over 4 million copies. And she briefly became ensconced in pop consciousness when Black Horse and the Cherry Tree got covered on Fox's American Idol. Right. Um, which because of that it was everywhere so it might have just been excess and overplay yeah. for for you um inarguably uh, but but it was a commercial boon um suddenly i see yeah it's, it's much, got the, soar, much better. the
1: soaring verse the yeah. melody of that oh my gosh yeah.
2: and you know she is after that release i feel like america just she just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, she has not disappeared. She, first of all, she's a Scottish right. uh, artist, and overseas in the UK, I mean, she's she she remains huge. She's released several several albums. Um, her songwriting chops out to that first album, though. Th- you know, they've always hint- they hinted at the time that that you know she had greater musical aspirations and potential um, than what that new millennium pop stardom had to offer. Since then, she has recorded actually six albums, uh, the most recent being Nut, uh, which was released last year, 2022. But yeah, for my final song selection, I I looked to Invisible Empire, Crescent Moon. Uh, It came out in 2013. Uh, The double album featured a a sparse, uh, countrified tone, uh, something she had never tried before. Uh, And it was recorded in Arizona with Hal Gelb producing. Uh, the double LP featured very personal songs, half of them written after her father suddenly died and her marriage ended. Um, the hallmark of the release was its delicacy. Every every song kind of felt very fragile. Uh, the track, made of glass, even had fragility as its subject. Uh, it was about a friend who died of cancer and left her a vase, which inspired the the gently strummed meditation about breakable gifts. Um, it's just, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful album, but it's very... Very personal, very intimate, um, and it, it's com- you know some of the tracks I mean, they they come complete, uh, very old country, uh, pedal steel and reverb. I mean, it, it's just a stunner. Um, in fact, there's little on the two albums that doesn't make you wonder where Tunstall had been hiding all this beauty prior to the release. Um, she pushed her voice in expressive new directions for the for the for uh, International Empire uh, Crescent Moon that would likely get lost in the homogenizing polish of a pop mix. That's, that's probably why she disappeared because she's primarily a blues artist first and foremost and she likes to experiment with, with different genres. Um, but the loose arrangements on this double album it afforded her the space to explore. Um, what really shined through um, was a, a glass and flutter, uh, very charismatic, warts and all honesty, that was engaging enough to make the ride seem scenic. I guess. Um, First of all, it's immediate immediate sonic beauty. um, Pulls you in. And then um, the album's slow, languid reveal required patience and time to get acclimated. It's not an easy album to just jump into. Um, As with any departure, though, I'm sure she likely lost some fans over the lack of catchy toe-tappers. The rockabilly roots, the bow diddly beat, it it was nowhere to be found here. Uh, But it is an impressive album, Uh, so impressive to to warrant a second thought about who this woman was and what we had come to expect from her. Um, It was mostly original material, but as I said, she did include a cover of Don Henley's The Boys of Summer, and it it fits perfectly. Uh, Like the original songs on the album, I mean, instrumentation, it's sparse on her cover. Uh, delicate acoustic guitar fades in and out and serves to only hint at a melody um, gone is Henley's original percussion keyboard electric guitar none of which is missed here in her delivery in Henley's original I love Henley and I, I love the song and
1: um, you know the, the, there was a cover that was a hit the, Ataris. the Atari's yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah. Um, yeah, in, in Henley's original I, I almost feel at times that the percussion the keyboard and the music's so heavy that it threatened to overpower his voice at times um in contrast Tunstall's cover here allows her voice to be the unobscured focus of the song uh her delivery is slightly melancholy uh reminding us that those days are gone forever and inspiring us to soak up all that joy of summer and its boys um that it has to offer it's a mellow cover but it's a beautiful cover and it's one that gives me chills with each listen so i thought i would uh end my my I-12 selections with... And
1: our 24, right? That was the last one.
2: Yeah. So now we have to sequence this. Yes, we do.
1: All right. We will be right back after this. All right, folks.
2: So 24 covers by today's artists of Gen X tunes. Here we go. We are going to open our mixtape, side A, with Come On Eileen by Save Ferris. That, very naturally and very logically leads to the Soul Rebels and their uh, just killer (laughs) take on Sweet Dreams are made of this. Uh, Following that, we have Lake Street Dive and their version of Faith, followed by Should I Stay or Should I Go by Jules Holland featuring Kylie Minogue. That leads to Everywhere by Prism. Then I'm So Excited by La Tigre Tigre. I what, said La Tigra, uh, but uh, yeah. I'm
1: probably wrong. I took Spanish. <laughs>
2: when, yeah, when, I did too. I didn't remember any I of that either. Too. So. Um, I took Spanglish is what <laughs> I took. Um, but nonetheless, I'm so excited uh, comes next here. Followed by Hot for Teacher by The Bird and the Bee. Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Claire and the Reasons. Take on Me by Annie B. Sweet. Something About You by Carey Brothers. Betty Davis Eyes by Sexton Blake. And we end side A with The Power of Love by I Fight Dragons side b opens with somebody's watching me by young medicine that uh this was a no-brainer leads into land of confusion by disturbed followed by you got lucky by the gaslight anthem love is blindness by jack white the postal service against all odds then nothing else matters by 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 wow <laughs> <laughs> by my morning jacket uh, followed by you gotta fight for your right to party by the hot rats that leads into Dancing in the Dark by Lauren O'Connell, followed by Heaven uh, by Brandy Carlisle Every Time You Go Away by Morgan James "Billy Jean by The Civil Wars and we do actually end our mixtape with The Boys of Summer by K.T. Tunstall Nice, that's it, a good list It is, it's a fantastic list and you know, there's so many more great covers out there today I, I would actually be tempted to do a part two of our part two if that makes sense if you followed <laughs> that um, somewhere down the line but I, I I don't know about you I'm gonna include some of some of my favorite covers that did not make the mixtape on the mentioned oh, yeah, that's good, yeah. songs yeah. list um, just to see what you know what others think of them um, but yeah it, it, this was this was fun a, a uh, two volume two mixtape two part series there were a lot of twos there so. are we going
1: to call this one cover me part two or do you have a different name for the second part you know
2: that was my original intent it was just cover me yeah, volume fine. one cover yeah. me volume two I, I yeah I don't know I don't know is there another cover title I am I was thinking about that coming in today I, I'm kind of drawn a blank I thought oops I did it again you know <laughs> Britney Spears I didn't know what to do but I, I like the idea of just cover me as you know the continuation here um our next episode, uh, knowing that next month is October, we are not doing uh, a traditional Halloween episode as we have the past three seasons. Uh, we decided to give you something far scarier, <laughs> um, and, and we're pushing it in just that way. We are going to give you songs so bad they're scary. Um, we're <laughs> and essentially, we're going to give you what we consider 24 of the worst songs ever recorded. Now, are we
1: scouring the, the, the dredges of Spotify for songs, or are we going to choose songs that were hits that everybody knows that we just think did not deserve to ever be recorded, much less chart?
2: That is where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to go, Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pick just 12 cuts, and man, how do you limit this one? If I, if I thought the covers was near impossible to choose 12, I'm going to pick 12 that... Were hits that make
1: my ears bleed gotcha. on every gotcha. listen. Songs right. so that will yeah. we'll offend a lot of people too. We, I, we love probably, it. Oh, I love it.
2: We definitely will. I mean, a lot of the songs I'm sure that will make the list are <laughs> de- are already divisive. Yeah. You now know.
1: Zabe, if you are listening, um, I will not choose "Wind <laughs> Me My Wings." That was on my my short list, and I thought I just can't do that a mm. second time. So, <laughs> now,
2: but I might pick something from Wicked. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Um, hey, it's your right to do so. No, no, no.
2: I, Wicked does not come anywhere near some of the songs I'm thinking are the worst ever recorded. Um, it's going to be a fun. We've never done a worst of. No, we haven't. Episode. So, yeah, but that is our Halloween treat to you. The songs so bad, they're scary. And that will be where we go in two weeks. So, or if thereabouts. Yep. Yep. Um, that's it. Uh, just a shout out to our sponsor, Jake Hallahan Painting. Make sure that you look her up if you have painting needs. She will do extraordinary work both inside and outside your home. Um, tell her Alan Dave sent you. Um, please, again, if you have any anything you'd like to contribute, any suggestions uh, for future episodes, if you just want to give us your take on our covers or recommend covers that we possibly do not know, we'd love to hear from our Our listeners, we we appreciate the correspondence when it comes in. That's all I got.
1: All right, that's it. It's all for this time. Hot, funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next month. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you
2: on the flip side.
0: Hittin' in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Mamorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape phonograph and dual cassette before you could get everything on the internet but some things ain't made it there yet mixtape line in line out if you don't have a line hold the recorder to the speaker turn the volume to nine here's an accidental slice of time